0: It's 2010. I'm 18 years old, and my parents have just dropped me off at university four hours away from home. They've bought me some food and wine for my first few nights in this new town, and now they're driving away from me. It dawns on me that this is the first time I'll be this far away from home, and I'll be living with strangers. Luckily, strangers soon become friends, and soon enough, that wine is gone. After a couple more bottles, we're now very well acquainted with each other, and we head out for our first night. We make our way to this dingy club, and it's here on this night where the Essex girl stereotype was thrown in my face for the first time. I'm chatting to some random guy in the smoking area, and within about 3 seconds of telling him that I was from Essex, his face turns from keen interest to repulsion. He turns his back on me, walks away, and I can hear him say, "Ugh." My name's Alice and you're listening to Shut Up, She's Talking, the podcast where I speak to women about their own stories, theories and ideas. This is the ultimate introductory episode. I want you to get to know me a little bit better and where I come from. So in this first episode, we're going to be digging a little deeper into a stereotype I'm all too familiar with, the Essex girl. Essex girls have faced the brunt of criticism and ridicule in the UK for hundreds and even thousands of years. Yep, the Essex girl has been causing quite a stir for a really long time. The Essex accent is consistently voted as one of the worst in the UK, and Essex girl jokes are rife. If you stick around until the end of this episode, I will share with you the worst Essex girl jokes with the queen of Essex herself, my mother. To shed some light on the Essex woman, I needed to speak with a woman who had researched this subject and could share the Essex girl journey with me. Terry Simpkin is our guest today and is an Essex girl like me who's come up against the stereotype just a few times. Terry is a master in the Essex Girl motif and has researched the damage it does concerning the imposter syndrome. Terry's development program, Braver, Stronger, Smarter, is based on this research, which focuses on inclusion and minimization of bias in organisational and social structures. Terry is also a proud long-term devotee of Duran Duran. Hi, how's it going?
1: Can you hear me? I'm, I'm good. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, I
0: can. I've just got to. Um, as soon as we got, got settled in, bit. I had to ask when was the first time Terry felt the sting of the Essex girl yeah,
1: stereotype? Good. I'm getting you. So, going back to the, um, the university experience, it really struck me when I was talking to one of my lecturers and he was an older guy he'd obviously heard the the Essex girl term he he, he sort of asked me where I'm in in, uh, in the UK that I came from and I said oh yeah from from Essex and his his t- demeanor completely changed he he sort of went from being a you know professional you know, university lecturer or so a bit of a nerd to to one was it sort of seemed a bit a little bit lecturous and he sort of turned and, and gave me a bit of a wink and said oh you no know, so you're an Essex girl then it was really one of those moments of deep clarity where you think does everybody else see me like that or is am I carrying this moniker around like some sort of label which. Is quite a different label to the one that I would apply to myself. So I thought, oh my god, that you know that that moniker has dragged all of you know, the the connotations, the connection to class, the whole gender piece, and and I really did. I mean, people have said, oh, you know, you're sort of a bit of a snowflake for sort of feeling like this, but in that minute, I actually felt completely degraded, and as if he had put himself on one social strata and and put me on on another one. And then I I, I didn't really think about it too much until after I'd come back to England and there was something in the media about uh, Essex girls and the two ladies who were lobbying to get the definition changed because the definition in in the, the dictionary at that time, as you probably know, was really quite derogatory. It was really awful.
0: Just jumping in here very quickly, the actual terms in the dictionary go a little bit like this. So. We've got the Oxford English Dictionary, and they state, a contemptuous term applied to a type of young woman supposedly to be found in and around Essex and variously characterised as unintelligent, promiscuous and materialistic. Now, the Cambridge Dictionary gets straight to the point. An insulting word for a young woman who dresses and behaves in a way that attracts attention and shows that she is not intelligent or stylish, thought of as typical of some people from the English county of Essex. Wow. And if it couldn't get any worse, the Learner's Oxford Dictionary. So this is the dictionary designed to support people learning the English language for the first time says this, a name used especially in jokes to refer to a type of young woman who is not intelligent, dresses badly, talks in a loud and ugly way, and is very willing to have sex. Now, I don't know about you, but I think it could be problematic to describe women like this in the dictionary. We are describing a type of woman from a specific area like this and it has been legitimised and distributed worldwide. Hmm, this could be a problem. The term was first entered in the Oxford Dictionary in 1997 and hasn't been changed since. I spoke with the Oxford Dictionary team who told me that despite the lobbying those activists did in 2017, it's had no effect on the Oxford Dictionary's definition. And the first known record of the term Essex Girl was in 1991, with a book of jokes named The Very Best of Essex Girl Jokes. Thankfully, I wasn't actually able to read this book, but I can only assume that it's a complete
1: pile of shit. Okay, back to Terry. The the media contacted me and said, because uh, I was working at the university at this time, and they contacted me and said, you know, could you talk about this? And it was at that point I really started thinking about it more as an academic than as an individual, and I was using my individual responses as, as a, a point a sort of a springboard to actually have a look at this more clearly. And that led to me being interviewed by the BBC and then writing the conversation article. And um, it sort of seemed to, to grow legs from there. Um, we ended up actually running a, a day conference purely on the Essex girl motif at the University of Essex a few months afterwards because there was so much interest in having a look at deconstructing where it came from, you know, how it managed to drag with it all of these Really derogatory connotations, how it has an impact on identity. So looking at the consequence, you know, the sources and the consequences of it, and it was very, very well attended. Um, so it was, it was, it was something that I've become more and more interested in because um, it does have you know, consequences for for people who who are either from Essex and carrying that moniker with them out into the world, like yourself and, and myself. But it also, for for people who are using it without really understanding, that it is really quite belittling and degrading. Whilst it could be seen as just a bit of banter, it actually does have real consequences. It it really does have quite serious knock-on effects.
0: The eyebrows raise. He gives you this creepy smile, and he's looking at you as if he's already seen you naked. You know. The guy in the bar who gets all defensive when you hurt his precious ego by letting him down gently and saying, No, thank you. Because how dare you, right? You should just be grateful for the attention. Well, imagine this happening whenever you tell somebody where you're from, as if by only being from an area, this lad has hit the jackpot. And when you tell him, No, or can you leave me alone, please? You're just a fat slag anyway. This is the sort of lecherous behaviour and attitude Terry experienced all those years ago in Australia. The idea of women from Essex being incredibly sexually promiscuous travelled across seas, continents, and hemispheres. But you may be listening to this episode with no idea how you'd even spot an Essex girl in the crowd. So I thought I would give you a hand and here are some top tips. Number one, we are orange. There is no other skin colour in Essex. We are not culturally diverse. We are only white and orange. Keep a lookout for those heavily bronze babes and the actual technical term for this is tangoed. Just so you know the lingo. An orange tint to your tan is a must. And the more bronzer, the better. Number two. We are fake. Our hair, fake. Nails, fake. Eyelashes, eyebrows, lips, boobs, all fake. Fingers, believe it or not fingers are fake but that's fake feet okay you're not gonna believe me but the feet are they're fake you name it we've bought it and implanted it it's all fake people and this of course means you can never trust ever trust nsx girl. three we are thick It's a scientific fact that by merely being from Essex, we are born with fewer brain cells and naturally only think about shopping, drama, or just the lighter things in life. Oh, and and one last thing, just before I forget. This is, of course, absolute bullshit. But, unfortunately, this nonsense is widely believed, published, and broadcast. But it hasn't been totally terrible for the men and women of Essex. There have been moments when we were well-loved by the nation, and in the last 40 years, TV has played a
1: crucial role in this. what do I do? You have to suck harder. No, well, we ain't all had the same amount of practice as you do <laughs> <laughs>
0: In 1989, Birds of a Feather put Essex women on TV like never before. The show followed sisters Tracy and Sharon, who have nothing in common until both their husbands are locked up for armed robbery. It was witty and incredibly well-written, and the UK was proud to get behind it. The show ran for nine long years and remained a 90s classic.
1: It's just a question of getting to grips with the hardware. Sounds right up your street, dog. You're looking healthier already. This psychotherapy has given you a glow. That's down to the knickers being too tight.
0: And in 2008, Essex struck gold again when the much loved and legendary Gavin and Stacey was released. The show follows the whirlwind romance of Gavin, a Cockney boy from Essex and Stacey, a small town girl from Wales, and their outrageous family and friends. Writers Ruth Jones and James Corden won awards for their creation, and the show remains a national treasure. The genius behind the writing and the lovable characters really made this series shine. What, Mum? No, not really. I'm absolutely shattered. I've been crying all afternoon. How come? But pet rescue. There was this badger and all its litter died and you could actually see the mother badger crying.
1: I don't think badgers can cry, Mum.
0: Nor did I, my little prince, but I know what I saw and it's not me for six. Still, life goes on. So, it was set in stone. The writing was on the war. Men and women from Essex were loved, talented and legendary, right? Is it wrong that I want to know all the details?
1: Here's a messages to a girl. One absolute idiot!
0: True. I am very opinionated. Always have been, always will. I'm Gemma Collins Fern. I'm 34. I've earned my diva shit. In 2010, a TV show called The Only Way Is Essex came along and truly solidified the Essex girl we know today. Towie, as it is also known, is a reality TV show based in Brentwood, and there is no question the show put Brentwood on the map. There are TOWIE tours in Brentwood, and the small town is home to the boutiques, bars, and restaurants owned by the stars of the show. The men and women on the show play to the stereotypes they have inherited from Essex men and women before them. consumerist, stupid, and sexy. The show has a 3.1 out of 10 on IMDb, and is often met with some controversy, diehard fans and people who loathe it. Somebody has actually told me before that this show is the sole reason the UK is going down the toilet. Yeah. The only way is Essex, is the sole reason why the UK is going down the toilet. Okay. The issue is not that this show presents these characters. The problem is that I believe some people have trouble separating fact from fiction. The outrageous characters in Gavin and Stacey, for example, fit these stereotypes too. Gavin's loving, overdoting mother Pam is an Essex girl through and through, but we love her all the same. We love these characters on Gavin and Stacey because there's an agreement with the audience that they are characters, that they've been written, they're not real, therefore we can laugh and forgive them. However, if a show is described as reality, the lines are blurred and we cannot separate fact from fiction quite as well as we could have before. Reality TV is heavily produced. That's no secret. We all know that. We aren't really watching reality. The characters on shows like The Only Way is Essex compete to be more outrageous with every episode. This is how they secure their positions in the next series. They are entertainers. They are playing themselves as caricatures. But this is, for some audiences, unforgivable and embarrassing. I would like to state for the record that I am not one of those people who find it embarrassing. I can recognise entertainment over documentary and I love The Only Way is Essex. It makes the best hangover TV and if you don't know who Gemma Collins is by now, stop listening to this podcast immediately, go onto YouTube and bury yourself into a hole of Gemma Collins memes. You will not regret it. So, we know that the Essex girl today has been taken much from TV and the media. And even though TV has showcased many an Essex girl and many an Essex story, we still haven't pinpointed that moment that the Essex girl came to be. What do we know about the birth of the Essex girl? Where does she
1: come from? had a a bit of a a look in the the literature and um, was trying to find actually where it was first used and it's really difficult to actually pin that down there is some uh, some references to it I think in the late 1800s but I don't think it carried the same sort of meaning but certainly it started to come about with the resurgence of uh, Thatcherite Britain in the 80s when we saw not only the Essex girl but also Essex man which in itself is interesting from a from a gender studies perspective, because you say, well, Essex man is you know an, an adult form, whereas Essex girl is sort of infantilised, um, and. When you have a look at the different definitions, Essex man is you know upwardly mobile, newly rich, you know going out, and making his work way in the world. Whereas Essex girl is sort of bimbo, sexually promiscuous, not very intelligent, of low socio low socioeconomic class. So you've got two sort of gender bound descriptions of the same type of individual. One saying that they're upwardly mobile and and reaping the rewards of of. You know, Thatcherite Britain where you know there was you know, quite a lot of economic prosperity to be made for people from you know who may not necessarily have have had access to those types of opportunities previously. So what we're looking at here is the sort of the the social mobility of what used to be traditionally working class into the middle class by virtue of the fact that they had a greater access to um, economic um, activity and being able to generate income from that.
0: Kerry mentioned something here that I hadn't pieced together myself before and that was the idea of the Essex girl being infantilized and not quite reaching maturity yet despite being a fully grown woman. By using the word girl the term is demeaning and to me it's really saying that us Essex women are not fully developed yet. We're not fully developed mentally, physically and economically. They're saying... Why don't you sit at the kiddies' table over there, in the corner? Wait, fur- no, further. Further. There we go. You're not invited to this adults' table yet. Um, you've got a long way to go, and we'll tell you when there's a spare seat. As a gender study, the Essex Girl opens a massive can of worms as to how we keep women from reaching their full maturity in language. By calling women girls we ultimately diminish their credibility and this is just one side of the stereotype. The other side is of course the social mobility that Terry's just mentioned and the wave that happened through Essex when suddenly men and women had a bit more money to play
1: around with and some had a lot more money to play around with. So where did this wave come from? It was connected to the migration out of the East London East London areas, so post war, so it started sort of there where you, we were seeing people moving into the new towns, so Harlow and Basildon in particular. So there was a lot of working class people moving out of you know what was previously sort of considered to be. Down and, and and in some cases quite dirty sort of slum areas in East London by virtue of the war and you know, social neglect you know, previously, so people were moving out of, of East London into into Essex. So then we see so we see this migration of, of you know, predominantly working class people into what you know, might have been considered sort of leafy you new know, countryside, which sees people you know, having that opportunity for, for for social mobility, and then of course and that's what the new towns were essentially designed for they were designed to create a, a, a different environment for people to thrive that's that's you know essentially what the underpinning um rationale was not only to to get people out of of london so that could be redeveloped but also to um, to give people a, a some you know greater level of opportunity and of course come the 80s when we started to see the a real shift in the political landscape so where we had, you know, traditionally working class Labour voters moving into areas where they could can have access to social mobility, that political landscape t- started to shift. So we saw traditionally very staunch Labour voters moving towards something much more conservative, because they could see that there were, you know, other opportunities that you know they're being made um, available to them. So then we see, yeah, you know, the the loads of money, you know, people who were perhaps um you know traditionally thought of as working class being able to to make extraordinary you know sums of money um in trades or or indeed um commuting to london to to you take advantage of of um, economic um, growth and new jobs being made available in in the city so then you saw this this sort of um commute. So people were coming from Essex, training it into London each day and then going back to Essex, having made quite a lot of money. And that's where that whole loads of money thing you know, you know, comes from.
0: Okay, just a very quick one. When Terry talks about loads of money, she's referring to a character in the 1980s played by Harry Enfield. He was this cockney geezer who wanted loads of money, flash cars, and sounded like an absolute tw- but this is kind of what it sounded like.
1: I know, I know, I know,
0: it's right. it it loads of money. Right!
1: Whoop it out! Whoop it out! Loads of money!
0: Whoop it out! Doing up my ass is my bread and butter. My bird's bite free and my car's are nutter. Loads of money is shall I utter as I wave my wad and the kids and the gatter. Derek B. On oh, no. your mind. And that's quite enough. Terry mentioned before how Labour voters moved their vote and began to support Thatcherite Britain under Margaret Thatcher in the 1980s. And Margaret Thatcher was seen as somewhat of a beacon of light for Essex women in the 1980s. Despite what Thatcher was doing to the working classes in factory towns in the north, she gained popularity in the south of England with the idea of Buying your own council house and buying your way up in the world. 39 Amersham Road in Harold Hill near Romford in Essex was first sold in 1980 to its council tenants for just over £8,000. Margaret Thatcher even made a trip down from number 10 to give the keys to the new homeowners herself. And as a Conservative Prime Minister... She was enjoying her new popular status in the majority working-class, labour-supporting county of Essex. With the rise of people buying their own homes and the new wealth generated into the county, women were now able to aspire for more than they had done before. But social mobility and the idea of men and women from Essex being consumerists
1: didn't stop with buying homes. And it didn't start there either. And of course, having made quite a lot of money, you see social mobility and in relation to um, the Essex girl in particular, you know, it's been associated with you know, taking control of one's own sexuality and being able to make decisions on their, on their own because they've now got the capacity to do that, they're not relying on other people anymore. So what we've got here is a confluence of social class traditionally what might be considered working class, you've got um, this idea of social mobility, you've got this idea of, of gender, and you've got this idea of place. And they all of them sort of start to coalesce into the Essex girl motif. So gender, class and place, in the middle of that is, is the Essex girl. So she's being perhaps demonised for being working class. And of course, at this time, you know, you had you know, traditional old money looking at people who are make taking advantage of these new opportunities and achieving social mobility, looking down on new money, going, Oh, you know, I'm not quite sure about this. And so there was this you know struggle, if you like, between you know working class people now you know moving in circles where um, you might see the you know, traditional elite or the you know, traditional working class people, so that sort of caused a bit of tension. Then you've got the gender argument where you know women, are, you know, they're taking agency over their own sexuality. Um, they're now got capacity to to have their own spending, so they're seen as consumerists. Um, and then of course you've got uh, you know the you know, the historical gender piece that comes along with you know the the traditional idea of women. Um, perhaps not necessarily having access to the same opportunities as as men and being um, faced with barriers in the workplace and in in, um, society more generally. So it's it's a fascinating coalescence of all of those things and all of those things have have some form of taint. And so you've got the triple whammy of class, gender and place with this this idea of, of taint. Suddenly,
0: stockbrokers from the working class were gaining economic success through instinct and risk-taking, rather than expensive education and nepotism of the middle classes. And so the Essex caricature was born. This Essex caricature is said by journalist Tim Burroughs to have began not as the disparagement of a dying social class, but actually the fear of a newly mobile one and the fear of a meritocratic system. The middle classes now feared the working class encroaching into their workspaces and rising in the ranks. Naturally, these grassroots, confident self-starters with business acumen and the gift of the gab needed to be taken down a notch or two. And so... Essex becomes the butt of the joke And the mockery begins
1: Lancashire has its famous sausages Yorkshire the best beer on tap But the county of Essex is different Essex is just crack <gasps> oh. Oh, no, Read the word Essex, Essex, Essex is crap. It's an absolute bomb. I've spoken to young women who are like you sort of going out into the world after university or, you know, going into jobs in the city or, you know, working outside of Essex. And they actually say they don't tell people from from Essex because they understand that the stereotype is there and they've got this sense that it is derogatory and it's going to be detrimental to them. And that's really that's really quite you know, distressing because you should be proud of the places that you come from. You should be able to connect where, you know, where you were perhaps born and raised, and, and perhaps where your family lives. You should be able to to connect quite happily with that without having to consider that you might be disadvantaged for it. And I know that yet yeah, the yeah, Essex. Council has actually ha, has been looking at this because it not only has a, an, an effect on individuals, it also has an economic effect. It carries resonance with it into business. I do a, a lot of work on the imposter phenomenon, the, you know, the irrational fear of failure, uh, you know, even in the face of you know, previous successes, and this, this idea of being a fake and that you, you need to sort of project a persona in order to, to rationalise away the fact that you're actually quite good at your job or that you've got potential to achieve. And I think if people are carrying with them this type of backstory then it does have an impact on people's capacity to really have confidence in their own abilities. You know, if I'm carrying with me this social stigma or this social stereotype that suggests that I'm less intelligent, promiscuous, a bit of a bimbo, you know, from from a, a place that is tainted or carries with it a stigma, that is necessarily going to impact on the way that I project myself uh, in the workplace or in the general community and indeed you know if I'm if I'm in an environment where people aren't like me but they see this stereotype then that that puts me in a position where perhaps I will feel that that I need to project a different persona and of course that that could bring anxiety and a bit of angst around, I can't bring my, my whole self to this situation, be it work or social. Um, I need to actually pretend to, to either diminish my, my background um, or completely hide it, because people may well be faced with that idea that I'm going to be dis- disadvantaged by carrying with me you know, what should be you know, a form of pride in where I've come from. But if that pride is diminished by this this stigma or this stereotype, that is derogatory. Well, then that puts people into perhaps a difficult situation. Sid Moore, the author, often talks about you know Essex girl actually having sort of carrying with it this idea of you know putting women who are um, you know outspoken, who are in charge of their own sexuality, who are able to speak their own mind, who are able to make choices about their lives and that you know generally speaking traditionally women who have been like that have been thought of as being a bit dangerous and a a bit inconvenient and um, you know challenging the status quo we tend not to like those sorts of women Um, and of course when you start to think about if you the you know, the history of Essex too, with the Essex witch trials, you know there are more women, as I understand it, who were put on trial and and um, uh, executed in Essex than anywhere else in the country, um, and of course it's got connections to um, you know the self appointed witch finder general um, when all of the, you know those those witch trials were going on. Those mostly were, were women who were speaking their mind, <laughs> you know considered to be a little bit dangerous, who perhaps had their you know a sense of agency. So it sort of has resonance to that and I'm not suggesting that people who are using the Essex girl terminology these days are actually harking back to that, that history but you have to sort of start taking that into consideration when we start to think about bringing Essex as a place and, and its story into that term. The history of Essex may not be a surprise
0: if you know the history of witches in England and Europe but there is a character Terry just mentioned that is worth talking about, and that's the Witchfinder General. This guy was a particularly nasty character in Essex. His real name was Matthew Hopkins, and between March 1645 and May of 1645, he took it upon himself to hunt witches. The women he accused of witchcraft came in all shapes and sizes, from young children to little old ladies who were often widowed and alone with nobody to defend them. In many cases, being poor, vulnerable, unruly or sexually promiscuous made these women direct targets at that time. Back in the 1600s, a woman's role was to birth children, look after the family and be a good Christian wife. Being a good Christian kept you safe, and if you stepped out of that very rigid role set out for you, you were of course possessed by the devil, I mean, obviously. This man, Matthew Hopkins, or the Witchfinder General, was a devout Christian and was determined to rid the world of all sin, He saw ridding the world of the devil's whores aka witches aka women God's work back then they also thought that to become a witch you had to have sex with the devil so Matthew Hopkins often took it upon himself to inspect women's bodies inspecting their vaginas and going over every inch of their skin to see where the devil had left his mark I think that one of the saddest parts of the witch trials throughout Europe and the Salem witch trials in the US was that many accusations came from women. Women were turning on each other. You couldn't trust your best friend or your sister or your mother. Accusations were flying in all sorts of directions. And it was probably the first time that many women were listened to when they spoke. And not just listened to, but churches and courts were silenced just to hear their stories and their dreams and their next accusation. That kind of power and attention can be incredibly hard to not indulge in. And many women did indulge in it. Many men did too. And many women died because of it. Like Terry said, the suggestion that this fear or dislike towards Essex women dates as far back as the witch trials might be a little far-fetched. But I think it's worth taking into consideration that the county has a history and Essex women have seen this kind of shit before. I couldn't do an episode dedicated to the women of Essex without telling the story of the ultimate badass Essex woman the warrior who defended her land and people against the Romans, Boudicca. Yes, you may have heard of her, and yes, she was from Essex. It turns out the first account of an Essex girl being truly unruly happened with Boudicca, queen of the ancient British tribe, the Iceni. The legend goes that in AD 43, the Roman army invaded Britain, Back then, Britain was divided into tribal territories. The Romans formed some alliances with the tribes in the southeast for peace and an attempt to conquer quietly. The Romans made an alliance with the king of the Iceni, Boudicca's husband at the time, Prasitagus. When the king of the Iceni, Prasitagus, died, the Roman army quickly rolled in and began looting buildings. They enslaved the Iceni folk. They publicly flogged Boudica, and they raped her daughters in front of her. The girls were said to be 12 years old and younger at the time. This enraged Boudicca and she started the rebellion against the Roman emperor Nero and his army in AD 60. The Iceni tribe is furious with the Romans and led by their queen, Boudica, they recruit the help of other Essex tribes to fight the Romans and chase them out of Britain for good. The now-united tribes of Essex march to Colchester to fight the Romans and take it back as their tribal centre. And they win. Their winning Colchester back from the Romans is an unexpected triumph. The rebel army was seen as undisciplined and savage compared to the Roman army. And this fight is being led by a woman? This is unheard of. But Boudica won't stop there. She intends to chase the Romans out of Britain, and so she leads her tribes to London to fight again. London represented everything the tribes from Essex loathed about the Romans. The Romans in London were living this Mediterranean lifestyle, and it just went against everything that the British tribes believed in. And so, when Boudicca arrived in London, she burnt it to the ground. She was completely unstoppable. Nobody was going to survive her wrath. And this act is known as the Boudican Fire of London. This is seen as another huge victory for the rebels. And after another win, Boudicca leads the tribe to the Romans' final hold, St Albans. Boudicca would fight her last battle here. The Romans were more disciplined, and Boudicca was outnumbered. She didn't survive the fight at St Albans. But interestingly, history still can't decide how this Essex girl died. There are only two ancient historians who actually reference Boudicca, and that's Tacitus and Dio Cassius. Roman historian Tacitus, who died in 120 AD, was alive and although very young when this rebellion happened, I think it's just safe to assume much of his knowledge about Boudicca was handed down to him from the Romans who he lived with, grew up with, and his own teachers. I mean, he was Roman. He was on the winning side. And Greek historian Dio Cassius died in 235 AD, over 100 years after Tacitus. But it's safe to say that he took much of his learnings from Tacitus and looked up to him as a historian. Both of their historical texts mirror each other. They both describe Boudica as being very tall in stature, most terrifying in appearance, most fierce in the glance of her eye with a harsh voice and a great mass of red hair that fell to her hips. They are describing a barbaric woman for those ages. They mean to discredit her by saying she's ugly and big and manly. You'd have thought that we'd have outgrown insults like these thousands of years later, right? But Still, even now, the easiest way to undermine a woman is by calling her ugly. Roman historian Tacitus writes that Boudicca poisoned herself before that last battle at St. Albans, while Greek historian Dio Cassius says she fell ill and died. I don't think either of those accounts are true. I like to think she was at the front, charging towards the Roman army and fought to the bitter end. From how Tacitus and Dio Cassius have described Boudicca throughout their writings as a barbarian, I think it would be very unlikely for them to paint her as a hero. They were never going to write her the warrior's ending she deserved, and it's a tragedy that these are the only accounts we have of her in history. They each gave her an ending that they thought showed weakness one way or another. And I call bullshit. Despite not getting the warrior's ending she deserved, the world remembers Boudicca as a feminist icon, a legend, and the first unruly Essex girl. The story of the Essex girl continues... We currently see the glamorous entertainers on The Only Way is Essex and the light-hearted humour they bring to the screen, but we also see the rise in conservatism and right-wing politics in Essex. And that didn't stop with Margaret Thatcher's Housing Act in the 1980s. As we find ourselves amid a climate emergency and with the rise of populist politics all over the world, and the pandemic COVID-19, we need Boudicca's to rise up from the ashes to start their own revolutions. And that's the end of today's episode of Shut Up, She's Talking. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review Shut Up, She's Talking on Apple Podcasts and say hello to us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Shut Up, She's Talking Podcast. I'm your host, Alice, and thanks for listening hey mum hi honey how are you i'm good i'm good how are you i'm fine thank you Good. So, um, you know, I'm doing my Essex Girl episode for my podcast. Yep. Well, I wanted to tell some jokes, um, some of the terrible jokes that have been floating around for sort of 30 or 40 years that um, we've all maybe been the butt of a couple of times. What do you reckon? Do you know any? Yes. Yeah, I do know a few. I mean, you know, I don't keep them to hand. (laughs) And, <laughs> so what are what are some of the Essex girl jokes that you know right okay this one I think is quite good do so you,
1: uh, <laughs> you think do, it's funny <laughs> well it, it's I do think it's funny it's just <laughs> it can relate to anyone it can just relate yeah, to anyone yeah so just, well they all can, how, can't how they how do you, come on <laughs> okay why doesn't Essex girl wear knickers why
0: doesn't an Essex girl wearing? oh sorry, no, sorry why does why does an Essex Why girl does wear knickers? An Essex girl wear knickers to keep her ankles warm. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> it's just so bad. <laughs> and then there's this one. What does it mean if you see an Essex girl with square boobs? Oh. She forgot to take the Kleenex out of the box. <laughs>
1: what? What does that even mean? Just
0: she's padding her bra. <laughs> yeah (laughs) oh i love it okay yeah no we've all been guilty of that we've all been guilty of some (laughs) tissue tips in our time